You're listening to Hawks Insiders, the home of all things brown and gold on the internet. Subscribe to our Substack for more Hawks coverage. Good evening, everyone. Ashley Brown here. Welcome to Hawks Insiders Thursday night safe space. Uh, also a post-game show as uh, less than an hour ago, Hawthorne wrapped up its pre-season with a far more encouraging performance, a six-point loss to Collingwood at uh, Utah's Stadium down in Launceston. Everybody would have been feeling pretty glum and rightfully so after the performance against Geelong last week. What we saw tonight against another flag fancy, far more encouraging, I think. We look forward to unpacking that in the next uh, little while or so. Joining me, uh, we're down a couple of soldiers tonight, uh, but uh, two of the best are still with us. So uh, good evening, firstly, to you, Daddy Prince. Good evening, Ash, and yeah, uh, looking forward to having a bit of a chat about the game today. I think there's lots of uh, exciting signs, and uh, a few youngsters really caught the eye. So um, yeah, a lot better than last week. And out of his sick bed, Brad Clavanti. Hello, Brad. Good evening, all. Great to be oh, here again. You sound terrible. Struggling a little bit, but I will never miss a Hawks Insiders whilst I'm standing upright. So good to be here, and that was very, very. Good tonight compared to last week. I watched the second half. Still got to watch the first half, but I saw enough there to be very happy with what we are building for the future. We'll get to it in just a moment. Uh, Apologies from Andrew and Darren tonight, both with other commitments, uh, which means lots more capacity for you all to join us. So please uh, request to speak and get on board. We've got a fair bit to get through tonight. We'll start with the game and then... All sorts of news of the Hawks off the field, which we think we need to have a look at over the next hour or so. So we'll spend about half our time or so analysing the game and get to a few other matters. Uh, some very exciting AFLW developments and uh, some bits of other bits of news from the footy club as well. Um, thank you, as always, for your support of Hawks Insiders. $5 a month, $50 a year for the best brown and gold content there is. Um also, just a reminder that this is the, the, tonight and next week, regular Thursday night slot. Next week will be Brad's famous game-by-game breakdown of how the Hawks end goes. So you'll notice for next week, Brad, you're going to go through every game and, and let us know how you think the win-loss record will be, and then we will rebut every argument of yours. And then once the season starts and it's Thursday night footy, we'll be on Wednesdays for the next little while as Jack Gunston takes a nice mark. He's played all right, Gunston, so far for Brisbane. So, uh, but based on what we saw tonight, it might not be the end of the world. He's not in Hawthorne colours. Let's talk about the game. It was Collingwood by six points, 106 to 100. I think it was 16-10. To 15-10, Collingwood got the jump. Three goals in not very much time, and it looked like it was going to be a disaster setting for the Hawks, but this time they found a bit... Turn the game around. Um, some brave midfield play. I thought they had some excellent patches where they controlled the midfield. The kids can play that much, we know, and there's a bit to get excited about. And going to the footy, my first takeaway for both of you guys is that going to the footy this year is going to be fun. They're not going to win every week. They're probably still going to win one game in three if they're lucky for the season. But by God, they're going to be a fun team to watch, Danny. Yeah, definitely. And I think the best thing about it, Ash, is that you can go to 
to the footy every week and see something a little bit different that gets you excited, like um, whether it's just the ever-evolving game of Jai Newcomb to the way that Cam McKenzie burst onto the scene today or um, the development of Josh Ward and just the kicking skills of our new players. And uh, there there was plenty to get excited about tonight. And I think, as you said, Ash, I think that ability to go to footy every week and see some of these players just do their thing and adjust to life on the big stage, I think is going to be really rewarding for Hawks supporters who have bought into the uh, the journey that we're on. So a couple of players, we'll go through a few players and we'll get your impressions on those now. I confess, I don't think you've watched the whole game yet, Danny. I really only watched it from a quarter time. Brad, you still watch the second half, but we know enough about what went on. Um, and certainly to say that uh, 30 possessions from James Warple, he had 20 to half time. There was a Patch in the a piece of play, I think, in the first quarter where he badly fumbled the ball out in the wing, and I thought, oh, here we go. Uh, Warp is still struggling, but I thought after that it was a masterful display from Warp. And it was probably, you hate to say it, and it was only a practice match, but it was almost the best game he's played since 2019. He just looked to be in complete control through the midfield, uh, won the ball, used it better than we've expected for a long time. It said he had 30 disposals. Um, the AFL website doesn't really have, or I can't find anyway, sort of more. Detailed stats in that, but uh, a really good out. 90 kicks, 11 handballs, two marks, a tackle. Um, yeah, so I thought a really effective game from, from Warple tonight, Brad. It was a must for Warps uh, tonight. Uh, heading into the season, he's locked himself a spot for round one. I thought he was borderline, but all uh, the reports throughout preseason is that he's had an amazing preseason. Obviously, we saw how well he played when he won the best and fairest the year Tom Mitchell uh, didn't play. So, fingers crossed he can reach those heights uh, once again. Like you said, Ash, I, I noticed in the second half, the midfield unit of Ward, McKenzie, uh, Warple, Connor McDonald showed signs of class. We can see it there. And like Prinzi said, and you've also said, going to the footy this year is going to be fun. Even though we saw these guys play a few games last season, we still had, you know, the likes of Tom Mitchell in the midfield. You know, Jago Amira had time there as well. We were slow. I can see it now. We just got to get 50-plus games into this unit as fast as possible. Henry Husswade played a bit in the second half. He played a bit of down across half back. A few times, he, you know, passed the ball uh, inside 50. He's got a beautiful kick as well. So they've recruited players that can kick the ball, which is crucial. We haven't had that the last four or five seasons. So, you know, guys like Fergus Green, who was brilliant, again, kicked three goals, one. Brad, Brad we're, just, we're going to stick to midfield first. We're going to, we're going to go... Uh, I'm excited, uh, Ash. You're excited, Brad. Good, you've been a big Kev. It's fantastic. But I'll talk a bit about the irony, Danny, that uh, James Wolfe plays one of his best games for several years. Hawthorne, I'll be in a practice game uh, with Tom Mitchell not there because he was playing for the other mob. Yeah, and, and Tom Mitchell didn't have a bad game either, just to be fair. But look, this is what we've been wanting to see from Warps. And I think um, a lot of supporters have probably had probably already written him off based on his last year, year and a half. And, and that's, prob- that's probably fair too. But um, if he can produce this kind of performance, that's a that's a pleasant surprise for the Hawks. And if this can be the sort of consistent output, 25 to 30 touches a game and be a really strong, contested body around the contest to protect our young guys a little bit, um, that's, that's huge. That's huge for their development because then we're not going to be asking 
for absolutely everything from John Newcomb week in, week out. And it just gives an extra person who can go through there and can crunch some bodies and can take some big hits and protect the Josh Wards and the Connor McDonald's and the Cam McKenzie's from that first sort of wave of, of, of attack. So, um, yeah, I look, really, really, really happy uh, with with Warple's game to, today. And um, if that's a sign of things to come for this, this year, um, I'm really excited to see him progress from this and use it as a launch pad because when they spoke to him in preseason uh, and he's been uh, written about, he hasn't sounded very confident in, in himself or that's the vibe I, I've got. So um, this will fill him with a lot of confidence that he can compete at that level and compete really, really well. Um, yeah, look, we, we, the qualification, it was a practice game, but, but again, it's pretty good opposition nonetheless. And 30 touches, you said he touches 20 and a half times. His second quarter, if you haven't watched the game yet, uh, just watch the second quarter. Uh, Warple was superb. And it gives you confidence then with Hawthorne midfield. With, you know, People have been banging all summer about how weak it'll be without Mitchell and O'Meara. But if Warple and Newcomb you know, can play that sort of level that they did for large parts of tonight, they're going to be okay through the midfield. Now, the other midfield we want to talk about, speaking of getting excited, is Cam McKenzie. Didn't play in the practice game against Geelong last week. Uh, but he's brought in tonight when number 28... He played superbly. At one stage, he had uh, he had 27 possessions, 13 kicks, uh, 14 handballs. Took, uh, oh, sorry, that was a long line. He had 24 touches, 13 and 11, five marks, three tackles. Um, his ball use is absolutely superb. And he talked about Hawthorne seeking out Danny, good ball users. A couple of hit-up balls from uh, McKenzie to the forward line. The forwards will be licking their lips if McKenzie gets a bit of time and space streaming forward with the footy because he's going to hit them on the chest every single time. And he absolutely looked, you know, I, I didn't think you, I, I picked the best 23s and have, did not have any of the, the first year players in there because I think you have to earn your spot. Had very little confidence given that he didn't play against Geelong last week that McKenzie would do enough in this game to convince me he was a round one pick. Well, I'll stand corrected on that because I was super impressed with his game tonight. He is an absolute walk-up moral to play round one. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can have a more impressive first-up hit-out um, in a team with an undermanned midfield in terms of uh, experience. For him to come in, play in the guts, um, win contested footy, and then use it as well as he did, as you mentioned, Ash, when he was um, heading into the forward line with his delivery was just, I mean, you know, you cannot be unhappy about that, can you? The, the, the good thing is, and I think, I reckon Brad might have tweeted it, Brad, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, drafted well and you can see this midfield unit is going to do their forwards a, a heck of a lot more favours than what um, what previous midfield units have. You know, Josh Ward is a beautiful user of the football. Will Day is. Um, uh, Connor McDonald is. And Dylan Moore is. And, um, and now adding somebody like who, um, you know, has all of the gifts inside in the contest, but also just a fantastic user. And and exactly, Ash, you nailed it, the spot-up kicks, the ones to the players on the lead. And that's going to be super important without Mitch Lewis in our forward line because Cozzy is more of a lead-up forward and so is Fergus Green. So being able to hit them up on the lead will really help our ability to impact the scoreboard in the first half of this year. So Newcomb had 27 disposals, uh well, Amon 23, I thought it was better outing from him uh, this week than last. 
Will Day, 20, but a couple of, bit of his work inside the centre square was terrific. Playing almost that sweeper role, wasn't it? He wouldn't get the first possession, but the, the second or the third in the centre in the center clearance and then, and then sort of use his skills and his, and his smarts to work the ball forward. I, I was, you know, again, needed to see Will... I hadn't quite pictured how it would work with Will Day as a midfielder, but I think I saw enough tonight, Brad, to suggest that it's going to be okay. Absolutely. The midfield unit over the last couple of years that we've drafted and obviously uh, Warps, who's been there for quite a few years, that's our future. There might be one more spot. I don't think Connor Nash is in our best 22 for when we're playing finals. Again, it'd be surprising to see, you know, who gets that last midfield spot for round one. I think Nash will get picked because Sam Mitchell seems to really like him. Cooper Stevens obviously hasn't played the last couple of games due to a concussion in the intra-club game, but I'm hopeful he'll come on uh, this season. I think we're still probably two midfielders short to really, you know, challenge in the next three years for the top teams. But uh, like I said, the quality they've drafted in the last three, you know, three years in particular, you know, or even four years with Day, as we've mentioned, McDonald, McKenzie and Ward, Husswade as well. That midfield unit, I've tweeted it about it, in 50 games time will be one of the best in the league. That's high praise coming from you. In terms of the goal kickers, we've got three from Fergus Green, two from Dillamore, who I'm pretty sure only played the first half, two from Conor McDonald, who I think loves a goal nearly as much as... Um, Dylan Moore does. Wingard, Josh Ward, Reeves, Meek, McKenzie, Kaczynski, Bramble all got amongst the goals. Kaczynski, I want to talk about him for a second. One goal for, once again, missed some gimmies. He missed some gimmies at the intra-club game. He missed some gimmies against Geelong last week. Missed some absolute howlers again tonight. Danny, I guess, glass half full as he's getting there. And he's, he took a couple of really good, strong contested marks. But the kicking will cost Hawthorne. If he doesn't straighten out that kicking, it will cost Hawthorne a game, at least until uh, Lewis is back in the side. Yeah, I think you can throw to me for the optimistic take and then throw to Brad for the pessimistic one on um, on Cozzy. Look, obviously nobody We have wants to stay to... on brand, don't we? Yeah, that's right. Obviously nobody wants Cozzy to kick one goal four, but I think if we look at it from the perspective of him stepping up and taking the best defender, and he was on uh, the... the portions that I saw he spent a lot of time on Darcy Moore and beat him in the air a few times um getting five shots at goal if he can do that every week he's not going to kick one goal for every week so if he can do that every week that is a huge win with Mitch Lewis out of the team it allows him taking the the number one key forward allows Fergus Green to play the number two forward and um allows the guys like Wingard and Bruce and and that type of caliber of small forward to go and do their thing as well so while we don't want to see one four uh, and missing easy shots we definitely want to see him compete take big marks like he did today um, and be a real presence and he was a real presence so um, I was actually very happy with this game I mean yeah like I said you want him to kick straighter but him being able to do that if that's a consistent line, sort of 10 touches, five shots at goal and five marks, that's a pass for me because most of the time it's going to be 2-3 three or 3-2 three, rather than 1-4. So I, I'm really happy. Brad, uh, what, what sort of grade do you give him for the game tonight? Uh, you, you'd give him probably just above a pass because, as Prinzi said, he had five shots on goal. 
but it's not a once-off. So I see where Prince is coming from. Yes, you know, if he has five shots of goal a game, it's a positive. To be fair, we don't really have anyone else to kick the ball to in the forward line at the moment as a key position player. So he's going to get chances because, you know, our midfielders are going to get quite a bit of the ball. With the, it looks like the way we, you know, we played uh, tonight and, you know, we're going to play for the season. But the sample size is there. He's got a terrible kick for goal. We saw, you know, the back half of last season. This season already, I know Ashu and Prinzi were at the uh, game, you know, the uh, intra-club game. We kicked one six, and I think he was set a couple on the full. He's kicked one four tonight, and they weren't hard shots for goals. So, like our, you know, yeah, Ash has said, it's going to cost us a game. We saw it a bit last year. I think Gunston did it a couple of times. But I don't know what the solution is. He needs to practice his call kicking. I don't know, you know, do we get Dunstall down at the club? Because like Quincy said, if he's going to have five shots of goal, you'd rather him kick 3-2 or 4-1. If he's going to kick 1-4 every week, then there's no point having him out there. Yeah, no, he needs to straighten up. I was, the only part of his game I was disappointed with was his kicking for goal, but I thought the, the contested work he put in was great. So they're trying to play Reeves and, um, Reeves and Meek in the same side and play a one-tall forward then with Green as the medium forward. That's the sort of structure they've gone with. Last couple of weeks, Dan, do you think it's working? Uh, it's early days. Um, there's been some signs. The problem is when the ball hits the deck, those guys against more mobile def- um, key defenders really struggle. So um, they, they really need to clunk it or we need to have our small forwards in and at their feet um, ready to pick up the scraps. So, look, there's there's still some promise there, but it hasn't, hasn't set the world on fire yet. But, look, the reality is we don't. We, we don't have any other options. Um, you know, Jekka is, is not there right now, and if he was, he'd be playing. Um, and Max Lynch, I don't think, is the is the answer either. So I, I hope they persist with um, the, the dual ruck, uh, one resting forward, uh, and Kaczynski with Fergus Green as that third sort of more mobile option. And, um, yeah, and, and let's just see how it goes. I mean, you know, at, if we're realistic, this year's not about the wins and losses. It's about um, experimenting, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work so we can put a line through that and then building for the next couple of years. So this is the time. This is the time to be able to try these combinations, um, give Cozzy the the time in the forward line as that option, let him try to work through his goal kicking, um, let Meek adapt to being, you know, a number one ruck uh, and getting 22 games a year if he's fit and uh, and see what we get at the end of the year. Uh, but Chad Wingard had seven. Touches kicked a goal, but his kicking for goal was a bit disappointing as well. He missed a couple, uh, a couple he probably should have kicked, but he's got through the game. Uh, he's got through the game. He played last week as well against Geelong, so he's got through two games of footy. Pretty much played four quarters, most of the four quarters tonight. So he is, well, we can say it, uh, barring a freak injury at training over the next, actually quite a long gap for I think, what, 18 days, something still before they play round one. Barring an injury in the next 18 days, Chad Wingard has actually, six, for only the second time Hawthorne completed a pre-season. So um, he looked good. He looked fresh. I said he's, he's, just, he's finishing, left a bit to be desired, but strongly encouraging for Hawthorne. He played a couple of players I want to talk about. Lockie Bramble, a bit of that dash coming out of halfback as well. There were signs of it last week. A bit of a polarising game. Some thought he played well last week. Others thought he, he, uh, he was disappointing, but I thought that was a bit of the Bramble and they said on the commentary a couple of times, it was sort of the 2021 
Bramble, and we saw, saw some signs. Now, the conspiracy theorist in me wants to float this by both of you. Um, tagging in a practice match is not normally the done thing, but Finn McGinnis played on uh, Nick Dacos and did a pretty good job. Danny, my question for you is, given that Craig McRae and Sam Mitchell are good mates and confidants, do you think this was prearranged? Oh, that's you love these conspiracy theories, Ash, and um, there might be some merit in that. Like, Dacos needs to learn how to work through a tag because he's going to get tagged. He's a phenomenal young talent, so it's not a bad uh, opportunity to practice it. And look, from from the Hawks' case and Mitchell's case, it's good practice for Finn too. So it's a win-win. So I wouldn't be surprised if they said, "Hey, Sam said, hey, Craig, we're we're gonna we're gonna ta- we're gonna tag Dacos," and Craig said, "Yeah, cool, fantastic, let's go." Um, but I thought I thought Finn was uh, was really good and just shows the value. I think you need to have somebody who can do a job defensively on an opposition player um, to stop their damage. And Finn has proven he can do that on lots of different types of players, and uh, that's that's massive for our midfield unit. We still need to see Finn go out and win his own ball and use it well. Um, and that will be the next step in his game that he needs to take over the course of this year. But um, I'm all for um, tagging in a practice match. Uh, It's all match simulation to me. And uh, good job for Finn with his job on Nick Dacos. Yeah, so that sort of more or less wraps up the game. The back line was, you know, the back line was okay. I think James Blank uh, is just sitting now. He's our number one sort of monster key defender. Sicily was fine. I thought fairly unobtrusive. I reckon he's been going at about two-thirds pace through most of the uh, through these two practice games so far. You would expect that he will step it up a fair bit come round one, his first official game as captain. Denver Granger Barras played in the second half, did a couple of things, got caught out, gave a conceded a free kick at one stage for a marking contest. That was a goal. Sam Frost, we got a bit of the good and the bad, as pointed out in the TV commentary at one stage, took some players on, uh, won the ball beautifully out of the back line, then kicked it to a three-on-one. Uh, and the ball came back quickly the other way. So um, that more or less wraps up. Connor Nash played. We talked a bit about his game as well. Um, the question is how close to the round one team that was. Uh, Brad, you would say it was pretty close now to to how they line up against uh, the Bombers in a couple of weeks. Yep, I've tweeted out my rolling best 23, obviously with the sub. I've got Butler as the sub for round one. The one that I know we're going to talk about is Jack Scrimshaw, where it is he. I'd love it if there's someone who is on here tonight who has any uh, mail because we saw him named in the B team in the intra-club game and then he obviously wasn't picked to play tonight. So that's a bit of a worry. I know there's some out there that think he's a lock for the best team and he must have an injury. I would have him in. I would have him in over uh, Connor Nash. That's the only spot at the moment. McKenzie is going to play. Warpool's going to play. Um, we've seen um, Blank and Frost are going to be the two key defenders, obviously, with Sicily. So I think Granger Barras is going to miss. Jack is not going to play. So the only spot is the, is that last spot. I think Connor Nash is going to get it because I think Sam Mitchell really likes him and he's going to want that extra midfield depth. But I would have from tonight's team out um, Connor Nash and in Scrimshaw. Well, Danny... Why there's been a fair bit of talk chat in the last couple of days about uh, Scrimshaw, and I believe he played in the well, he's playing now. The games should probably go in the practice match for the VFL team against Collingwood 
um, at Olympic Park. I don't think he's out there, Ash. So I think he must have an injury because I'm pretty sure he's not playing for Box Hill today. He was named, yeah, but Smog, I don't think he's playing. So he Smog must have tweeted, an injury. Man. Smog's yep. tweeted he has a niggle and he's not playing tonight at all. Oh, so. yeah. So, yeah. Right. So you, would, you would think then, you know, we've saw, you know, Scrimshaw's been one of our most consistent players the last few years and he's, you know, skill and, you know, he's kicking off halfbacks crucial and he can play tall and small. So I would have him in the team. But my question is, I've tweeted out my team. I've got him out only because I think Mitchell's going to go with Connor Nash. So it'd be interesting. Who does, Prinzi, who would you take out of tonight's team and put Scrimshaw in? The only two would probably be Lockie Bramble or Connor Nash. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, for me, I'd have I'd have Scrimshaw ahead of uh, Connor Nash. I know that they play different positions, but um, Scrimshaw's versatility uh, and the fact that we're looking to try young guys through the middle, um, I'd I'd be I'd be playing Scrimshaw. I don't know. Obviously, Sam has a clearer picture of where these guys are at than than any of us. But um, Scrimshaw's in my starting starting eighteen if I'm picking a squad. So. Um, either he, yeah, like like Smog said, either he's got a niggle, and that's why he's been a bit of an interrupted preseason, um, or he's there's something wrong and he's a bit out of favour. But um, yeah, he he he's selected every day in my team. I think he's uh, severely underrated. There's a bit of the I told you so is about the Coventry Scrimshaw on social, also on, on some of the message boards. One theory being that he's a nice player, but he doesn't have the hard edge that. Uh, Mitchell seems to be fairly mandatory at Hawthorne this year, that he needs to bring a heart and show a bit more aggression with his game. So, uh, which is interesting because I've seen him take some very courageous marks in his time, you know, backing back into packs and what have you. Um, but that might be one theory as to why he may be on the outer, but then it could just be maybe we are ready too much into it and he just can't get that body 100% right. But I would think he'd be up against it um, to play round one. But I mean, we all... We all Always put too much store in the team for round one. We put too much store into the result for round one. Um, it's a long season, 23-game season now, so there'll be plenty of opportunities for Scrimshaw to uh, play uh, in and, and not to uh, and quite soon into the start of the season. Um, before we put a bow on the game, do you want to do more on anything? If you've got any more observations, uh, please... Uh, let us know. A couple of uh, messages have come through. I'll have a read. So, Smorganism, Scriptures and Niggles not playing for Box Hill tonight either. Uh, also from Smorganism. Because he's getting his hands on it, that's the main part. The kicking can come. Agree with that. Uh, Scamasaurus, how much does Cam McKenzie look like Sam Mitchell in the 28 jumper? There are traces of that. He's a bit taller than Sam, I think. Um, McCowan, Day in the second half played strong midfield role as well. Certainly agree. As I said before, I think he showed a lot more in midfield than I thought he was capable of. Aiden, five shots of goal, each from our second and third tools is awesome. Hopefully the accuracy is better in the actual season. We can only hope. Um, Greg Fidgen says, Scrimshaw played before Bramble. Um, and Mick Cowan, Nash did a couple of nice things in the fourth quarter. He looked to do a job on side bottom. That may have succeeded. Still, side bottom is not the sort of player that I think uh, runs around at top uh, speed and with a lot of care and effort in a practice game. He's too smart for that. But yes, Nash do play well. So they've got some selection issues for the round run. It's what you want. We've probably got 25, 26 players to choose from, which is a reasonable start. 
for that. So unless anyone's got any questions or comments I want to make about tonight's game, I am going to now move on to all the other news out of the Hawks, and it is significant. Most of it in an email that came to the club today from Andy Gow, or from the club, really. So I am going to go through it almost in order of what was it contained from the various messages from the various people in the email today, because that's most news around the Hawks. And I said, I want to finish up with a bit of a chat. And I, this is what I'm really keen. If you are one of these people, I want to chat about this MCG story, because I've got a couple of thoughts on it um, with Collingwood hogging all the seats. If you are a person who's got seats in the Ponsford stand who has to be booted out for the home game against Collingwood that we see every year, I'd love to hear from you and, and what the club makes you do, where you have to sit on the week uh, that they play Collingwood. So Andy Gow's letter to members that came out about uh, right on the dot of 2 o'clock, I think, this afternoon, I'll be by inbox. So we have a vice president now. It is Katie Hudson, who... We had Danny, didn't we, on the Hawks Insiders? Um, we did. Very strident, very strident support from Peter Dankerville, but uh, time has healed all wounds. And the old, uh, if you embrace Hawthorne, Hawthorne embraces you. And she is now the vice president of the Free Club. I'm pretty sure she was standing near us at uh, the Inter Club game as well, Katie Hudson. So um, a couple of weeks back. So she's uh, she clearly loves her footy and loves the Hawks. Any thoughts on that? I found that a very interesting decision, Ash. And like you said, it's a, it's an interesting decision because of how ardent in her support she was of Nankerville. Now, I know that that's a board position and you have to do that with the incumbent. But um, the way that she talked about Andy Gowers hinted at something that I thought maybe a bit of discontent between the two. So for then her to become vice president, maybe it's a way um, of, look, Andy Gow is a really nice guy and a really um, positive, uh, calming influence on a board that it's had probably, um, you know, its fair share of turbulence in the last few years. So I think he's perfect fit for that top role. Maybe Katie Hudson gives him a little bit of teeth behind him um, because I, I think, like you said, I think she's um, she's a fantastic uh, leader and a fantastic board member and, and a little fiery. And um, I think that that's a good thing. You need to have that um, in your vice president. So, um yeah, I was surprised. I was definitely very surprised. Um, but I think that possibly it's a really good marriage between Gowers and Hudson as president and vice president. Um, and you know, just what yes people on the board either. You need people ask critical, hard questions of others on the board, and she may well be that person. But uh, also, given her role with the financial side of the club, uh, really critical. But she's, I mean, all three candidates who are standing, uh, existing members of the board. They had had a bit to offer, um, and it's uh, a good appointment. It's good that she she was re-elected, and it's great that she is the vice president. Um, the next bit of news was and this is very interesting, and we'll just spend a couple of minutes discussing the ramifications of this one. Luke McCabe being appointed football director, a name none of us really. We we threw out a few names. I always thought, uh, sort of knew that Rodney Ede was not uh, in the running. He hadn't been interviewed as uh, of last week. Um, I thought Jordan Lewis might be smoking, but then he was announced for all these media roles in the last few days, uh, Brad. So I thought, well, it's probably not going to be Jordan Lewis if he's going to have a, all these roles in the media to be the football director of Hawthorne. Then Luke McCabe comes in. Uh, so a couple of interesting observations before I put to both of you. Number one is that he is uh, very successful uh, in the agricultural business in South Australia. Number two, he lives in South Australia. So you've got a football director who, uh, to the best of my knowledge, won't be living in Victoria. 
um, does that matter? And then what does it do, Danny, with the likely, and my understanding is it's more likely than not, selection of uh, Will McCabe as a father-son selection come the end of the season? I mean, surely it just strengthens those ties, right? Like, um, there, there might have been a few uh, small doubts as to whether Will wanted to come on board as a father-son because he's a South Australian boy. Maybe he wants to stay home, um, you know, play in South Australia, that sort of thing. But this, this effectively eliminates that. You bring his dad on board as a footy director, um, it makes you feel uh, even more comfortable moving into state um, and, and, and starting your footballing career uh, in Melbourne. So, um, I, I mean, I just think it strengthens the ties there with the, the Hawthorne Footy Club and the McCabe family. And um, I'm already looking forward to watching uh, Will run around next year in the brown and gold. Well, not, next, not this season, obviously, next season. It does complicate things slightly because he... Um, you would imagine that the draft strategy gets brought up fairly regularly at this monthly football subcommittee uh, that is a really that we have come to know is a really important part of Hawthorne. So, mm. what does Luke McKay do when they're talking about their draft strategy? Uh, that I find interesting. That's the, that to me. That's the eyebrow raiser. Now, Hawthorne's very much now about transparency and process. So, I'm just wondering what that means. The, is the counter argument is they said, you know what, he's not going to play for Hawthorne. He's going to stay home and play for whoever picks him. Yeah. Well, I think what I think look has to be a slight look, possibility. Absolutely, and I think um, the reality is the Hawks have been really, really clear with father-son, uh, the NGA prospects and, and, and anybody tied to the club that they'll pick them if they rate them. Um, so I think from a, from a list perspective, from a, from a draft perspective, if Will McCabe's up there, the, the conversation will be, hey, yeah, we rate, him, we rate him highly, we rate him here and we'll take him if he's available. Um, but but there's no romance in it from Hawthorne. They've taken all of that out. Um, they won't take people for the sake of them just because they have a name. So I'm not too worried about it. I think probably, you know, if they have in-depth conversations about Will, maybe Luke excuses himself from those conversations that Will, as Will's dad. Um, but that's not Will's, uh, Luke's job either. That's obviously Mark McKenzie and, and his team's job to work out where Will fits in that order. Um. Also, in Andy Gower's note was that the Unite and Inspire Forum, which is the formal name given to the summit that he promised as part of his election campaign, is going to take place uh, not too long, not too far away. Not quite clear who's going to be in it yet, but uh, he said it'll be a combination of uh, people who work in the club, uh, members, uh, life members, members, past players, the cheer squad, coder group, directors, executives, and Hawks for change will all be there. Uh, Hawks Insiders is making a couple of inquiries to see whether we can be in the room as well. If not, if we aren't, but any of you out there in Twitter Spaces land is part of that, we would love you to reach out to us and uh, let us know what happens in the room if and when it does happen. So he's promised a monthly update, um, Andy Gowers, which is we had uh, with the previous president that there was often communication several times uh, quite frequent, and other times we would go uh, quite a few months without hearing from him, but I think the once a month or so works really well. Justin Reeves said the family day was fantastic. Danny, you were uh, you were there. How did it go? Was it uh, as good as advertised, or was it a, a couple of issues given uh, that you couldn't actually take kids on the ground for a kick? 
Yeah, that was probably the biggest bummer. My my five year old took his uh, took his little footy and was really keen to have a kick with me on the ground and and uh, I tried to temper his excitement. But uh, when we got there, obviously the temporary fencing was up uh, everywhere and it, we weren't able to do that. And I think because of that, it just sort of crammed a lot of people in around the boundary line where the players were um, signing autographs and taking photos and stuff like that. So that was probably the only downfall. But there was a huge amount of people there. And it was really exciting to see so many Hawks fans turn out to a family day when, you know, the Hawks aren't at the peak of their powers. You know, we're, in, we're, in the, we're at the start of a rebuild. So that's normally where you don't get the buy-in from the fans. So to see that buy-in, it shows you that Fans, as a general rule, and members really believe in the direction that our club's taking. So that was really exciting and um, and heartwarming for me. And yeah, it was a, it was a great day. It was something different. Um, my wife is not a huge football person, so she really enjoyed it, um, being able to sort of join the dots and see what what this thing is that I love. And uh, and my boys are really pumped for the Essendon game now. So uh, that's uh, that's I think what the family day is supposed to do. So yeah, good day out. Good day out, indeed. Okay. Jamie Burnell has been appointed the Indigenous Player Development Manager and Head of Indigenous Affairs at the club, um, a role that probably uh, needed to be filled and um, is now filled by someone who played a former AFL player. Who do you play for, Burnell, Brad? It's a very good question. The only Burnell I know is... uh, Jamie Burnell Burnell played for the D's in West Coast, I believe. I was going to say one of the Perth teams. I thought he played for Freo because I know obviously... Um, is he a relation to Harley? I uh, couldn't tell you, but yeah, yeah I'm okay, 99% yeah, Melbourne sure it was West Melbourne Coast. and West Coast. Melbourne yeah. West Coast makes sense. They're also conducting a, seat, uh, a search for general manager of diversity and inclusion. The Hawks have, um, again, another very key role at the footy club. The Hawks have been pilloried by the usual suspect, a.k.a. Damien Barrett, for including in the job description that they want to be seen as a leader in this space. Well, they weren't saying in the ad that they're, they're the leader now, they're saying they have aspirations to be a leader in the space, just like you bring football into an organisation with the goal of one day winning a premiership, therefore being the best there is. There's nothing wrong with setting a sights high to be a leader in the Indigenous and diversity and inclusion space. So I'm happy the Hawks are aiming high. No one's pretending that they're the leaders in that space at the moment, but have the aspiration by all means. So I think this will also be a very welcome appointment at the footy club and Jack Gunson has nearly kicked a fantastic all over his shoulder but has just missed uh, winning the number 19 for Brisbane who are currently leading Geelong by 29 points with about six and a half minutes left in the second quarter. Um, He said the independent panel is taking place. Not a lot they can uh, talk about that at the moment. Um, What is interesting is that Arthur Clarkson hasn't been interviewed yet. Shim Chris Fagan hasn't been interviewed yet. Either or Jason Burt, as predicted, this is going to drag on for months and months and months. And if Gillan McLaughlin is waiting around at the AFL to um, wait till this is decided, Bradley, he might walk the AFL CEO into next year. Absolutely. I think Gill was supposed to finish up the end of last year. Then he's pushed his end date to what was it, uh, April? Yeah, the gather round, round five. Yeah, can't see it happening. I think Gill's going to be there for a bit longer. Obviously, we've got the Tassie news that's going to drop hopefully soon that they're going to be coming into the AFL. And, yeah, as you said, Ash, this saga is going to drag on and on and on. They are, the, the AFL, with these type of uh, issues, 
do like it to drag on and they often like to get the broom out and sweep it under the carpet. So what happens with this one is going to be interesting because it's not one I believe you can really sweep under the carpet. So as you mentioned, Ash, it is going to drag on and I think uh, Gil is going to be at the helm till at least, you know, you'd say post round 10 or 11 this year. Yeah, he. Uh, I think his big plans of the European summer um, might be put on hold. Now, this is the really interesting uh, development, I thought, in the communication from Justin Reeves. We'd heard suggestions that the poll results were going to be released, the voting results out of the election were going to be released the day after. Well, that never happened, but uh, after a lot of thought and consideration, and with a view to a commitment to transparency, they have released the results. So it was... For president, it was Andy Gower, 6824, Peter Dankerville, 3568. So I think the uh, Hawks Insiders exit poll, Danny, was reasonably close to the mark with that one. Yeah, that's uh, that's fairly comprehensive, to be honest. I, I, I had a feeling it would be a little bit closer than that. Um, that's a, Effectively that's a two one. to one, isn't it? So, um, And Nankin was a good man, and he didn't really deserve to be voted out by that sort of margin. But uh, the members, you know, he was... Uh, rightly or wrongly tainted with the uh, the Kennet brush, and that was the result of that. And the board position votes was Katie Hudson seven six eight one, Anne Marie Pulitzer six eight nine four, James Molino six two nine one, Maria Louis five six zero three, and sadly for us as, as a fr- great friend of Hawks Insiders Ed Till four seven zero seven. So a reasonably tight uh, vote. Uh, Daddy's Ed staying on as Boxall president. Are you aware of that? Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah, yep. Um, it, it's a shame. I think um, probably just Ed's lack of public figure sort of this was what hurt him more than more than anything, um, because he would have been a fantastic servant on the Hawthorne board as well. But being president of Box Hill is, uh, as far as Hawthorne's concerned, is still a key role and keeps him very closely aligned with the footy club. And uh, with Box Hill season starting in a few weeks, we'll be sure to get Ed on Hawks Insiders in the lead up to the Box Hill Round 1 game, to look at how the mighty Stangers are looking. Interestingly, 23.7% of eligible members voted, which is, a, I think, a great thing for footy club. And there are those who think democracy in footy club is a waste of time, but I think it's an outstanding result that uh, almost a quarter of the members of the club took the trouble to vote and want to have a say in the future of the club. So democracy is alive and well. Sam Mitchell uh, report, not much to read there. And then we'll get to the um, AFLW, Beth Goddard, which uh, was announced a bit earlier, but the fantastic news that Emily Bates and Greta Bodie, who have been stalwarts of the all-conquering Brisbane Lions, far and away the best program in the AFLW, in my humble opinion, Um both coming to Hawthorne as um, priority signing period selections. They, uh, the expansion clubs were allowed to pick three players from uh, before the trade, but back allowed to pluck three players out of other clubs as long as those players have played three years for their teams. And uh, Hawthorne have absolutely scooped the pool and are earning rave reviews for this uh, recruiting, um, recruiting raid on the lines. Uh, Emily... Bates was the AFLW best and fairest, commentary best and fairest in season six, which was actually the first half of 2022. And uh, Greta Bodie is an exciting forward. So suddenly the Hawks, and you look at players like Jazz Fleming, um, they're going to have a really, really good midfield next year, Danny. 
Oh, it's super exciting. And I think if, look, I'm not sure how I feel about the uh, priority selection period where you can just like take some of the best players from other teams. I mean, if you're a Brisbane Lions supporter, you'd be absolutely gutted. Um, but hey, you know, swings and roundabouts, right? So we'll uh, we'll take we'll take the good news when we can. And um, Emily Bates is a phenomenal footballer, and she will add so much experience, leadership, class, and tenacity into uh, a, a growing midfield unit. And um, we saw the emergence of Jazz Fleming last year. Um, she did some phenomenal things in the back half. Tilly Lucas Rod was obviously um, far and away the Hawks uh, women's team best player last season and to be able to put somebody um, who's as good if not better than those two into that mix is just massive and and then um, Greta Bodie as a as a really dynamic uh, goal scoring option I think one of the things the Hawks sort of struggled with was scoring goals and and being able to chuck her in the mix as well in that forward line is is great too so that's a couple of coups and I think they still have one more spot available um, to uh, sign somebody else uh, under that um, under that uh, PSP period, which uh, trying, suggesting they're going to get a third player out of the Lions, but that hasn't been announced yet. But certainly, it's not hard to feel too sorry for the Brisbane Lions, given the steady stream in the men's program, the steady stream of fourth all people who've made their way north um, to Brisbane last few years. Jack Gunson being the latest, so you know, I don't feel too bad for the Lions, and particularly don't feel bad for as great a coach he is. Craig Starson, which had a massive sook when Hawthorne was admitted to the competition. Uh, bad luck, Craig. Um, Liam, good evening. You got a question for us? Uh, yeah, never miss a chance to talk about female footy in the brown and gold, as anyone who knows would know. Um, the thing that jumps out to me with these signings, and Emily Bates in particular, our midfield last year was actually quite strong compared to where our list was. It was about just below 50% clearance rate. But um, Emily Bates is such a good user of the football. In our midfield, our ball use was, uh, frankly, not very good. So I think she will be an absolutely outstanding signing, not even for her ability to win the football, but her ability to use it. Because our forward line, we didn't score that well last year. And I think a lot of that came down to the quality of the football coming in. And I think Emily Bates could be an absolute game changer with that. And then when you combine that with Greta Bodie's forward pressure, because she is lightning quick. Uh, I actually think this pair, and it might take a couple of years for us to get the rest of the list into a position where it can compete for finals, but this pair can really speed up that process, and they are really good footballers. And those who haven't watched much of them play, go over and watch them play. They can seriously they seriously know what they're doing on the footy field. Yeah, there's highlights on the Hawthorne website and app of, of them playing. I think it's all going to tie in very nice. You say it's probably another development year coming up and just to get things right, but... Uh... The 2024 AFLW season, by which time the Hawks will be playing out of uh, the Kennedy Community Centre at Dingley. And the 2005 born draftees as well. That's right. They'll be able to, uh, players will be able to head to, uh, fans will be able to go to Dingley, I think, in a couple of years' time to watch a really good team play. So that's no, a, a great outcome. And it's a vote of faith, a vote of faith in what they're doing, Hawthorne, because if you're roughly next year, developing team, that's Going to have another year of playing home games here, there, and everywhere um, because of the thing uh, not being completed. Um, but uh, they've brought the vision. And, and clearly, if you want to look at the best recruit Hawthorne has picked up in the last three or four years in any of, in any description, um, Brad, I'll suggest it's Beck Goddard. Absolutely. Beck's an absolute star. We've seen 
during the week. I think Daisy Pierce has, you know, obviously joined uh, Geelong as an assistant coach. Um, Beck Goddard, I think, has definitely got the potential, you know, to be a coach for um, an AFL side uh, one day. I've got no doubt there will be a female senior coach of an AFL side. I don't know when it's going to happen. But, yeah, Beck Goddard has been, in, has been absolutely brilliant for the Hawks. And we saw last season many thought, you know, we'd struggle to win a game in the AFL-RW. But the game she had the team up playing, uh, yeah, exciting. And the players seemed to love her. So, yeah, Beck Goddard, absolute star. And definitely a big, you know, part of the future of our club. Hopefully when the men's side's having success. But I think the men's side and the female side at the moment are sort of in a similar spot and I think they'll both be having success at the same time hopefully you know in the next you know three to five years time all right Patrick have you got a question for us I was just gonna ask have we heard any updates on when the construction starting at Bingley I know originally when the when they signed the contract it was meant to be in February do we know if it's been pushed back or if we can expect like a groundbreaking ceremony or something soon I have. I think we've done one groundbreaking, so I don't know how many times you can do a groundbreaking. But um, I do. There was actually strong suggestions that there were going to be three big announcements coming out Hawthorne this week. One being the director of football, the second being the AFLW signings, and the third was going to be that the uh, funding, that last bit of funding, had been secured. Either the fifteen million dollar commitment from the state government would be formally ratified and handed over, and or Andy Gower is coming through with that money that he said had been withheld as long as Jeff Kennett was the president. Um, there'd been talk that uh, Gower was going to come through with that uh, money as well. That didn't happen, which is not to say it won't happen. I would have thought, given that the bulk of the team are in Tasmania at the moment, that that announcement was going to happen. But with the team back in town next, uh, well, I'll be back in town tomorrow. So with the play, I think they'll probably have a few. Uh, three or four days leave. Uh, players get a lot of leave these days, Danny. I'm not quite sure how this all goes, but uh, they'll probably have done three or four days of leave. I would imagine sometime next week or in the week leading up to round one, we might get the last, that last tranche of money for Dingley will be forthcoming and that could do some sort of, as you say, uh, groundbreaking or get more people out to Dingley for some sort of announcement. Well, ministers love a photo op, so if they can announce some funding, um, I'm sure there'll be a minister there cutting a ribbon or standing there with a foot on a shovel or something like that. So uh, bring it on. I think the quicker we can get the funding confirmed and the quicker we can get construction at Dingley, the quicker we get to be there. And um, I know um, you know we're all excited about it, nobody more so than Patrick. So um, we appreciate your Dingley updates, Patrick. Um, I think that... Um with James Bellino on the board of the footy club now, he's just waiting for the right time to uh, get one of his former colleagues in the in the Labor government to get out there for the photo op. But I don't think it'll be too far away. It'll be a nice announcement to make on the eve of the season. I think that will be uh, wrapping it up for... Oh, no, the Collingwood thing last year, yes, the MCG thing. So the other story of note is that um, the MCG... Basically, with Hawthorne, if you... Dig closely, Hawthorne plays four different types. Of, Hawthorne gets 11 home games a year, of which four different types. There are the five home games at the MCG, whereas it's, Hawthorne, it's a Hawthorne ground. 
There is the one game at Marvel, which unfortunately they have to play as a home game. There is the four games in Tasmania as, as the home team. And then there's the home game against Collingwood, at which Hawthorne gets shunted into the away rooms and no Hawthorne people can sit in the, or certainly in the first two levels that matter in the Ponted stand. Collingwood has had this agreement going back to the mid-90s where they've had all sorts of priority access to um, seats at the MCG and function rooms and what have you that carried over in 2000 uh, when Hawthorne moved there. Hawthorne got a nice deal, but not the, the greatest deal when they moved across from Waverley. But it's been a bugbear for a lot of people for a long time that um, Collingwood have had this, uh, this announcement where they pretty much own the Ponsford stand uh, whether they're playing at home or away. Hawthorne's draw, if you look at the last few years, Hawthorne always is the home team against Collingwood. They haven't played an away game against Collingwood for uh, for several years, I don't think. Um, so what I find interesting about this, and this is a little bit sort of footy nerdy sort of stuff, is that uh, Richmond came out uh, and were quite outspoken. Hawthorne didn't say anything, which I put down to... Um, which I put down to there being a new president of Hawthorne and not one to say very much, whereas Jeff Kennett would have been quoted ad nauseum as soon as the story broke last week. But then lo and behold, Justin Rees came out today with, a, I think, in the Herald Sun saying, all 15,000 Collingwood seat holders in the Ponsal Sand should be booted out to other parts of the ground when they're their way team against Hawthorne and Hawthorne people should take all the good seats. So it's interesting that the Hawthorne have flexed their muscles in this regard, um, they don't quite have the clout of Richmond at the MCG, but it has been disappointing these home games against Collingwood when Hawthorne loses the rooms that they usually use and the Hawthorne supporters who like to, uh, a lot of the young supporters, Danny you, and Brad, you both with uh, sort of parents of young kids. Young kids love nothing better than to sort of sit and stand as close as they can to the players' race. But when they play Collingwood at uh, the MCG, the kids can't do that because Collingwood get the race, and unless you're an MCC member, you can't get anywhere near the players' race or the Hawks run out. So I know it's a bit, that's not an essential core thing, but it's nice to see Hawthorne is uh, is also one of these clubs, uh, you know, making representation to the MCC that uh, they feel they've been mistreated uh, with this Collingwood deal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, look, we know that the AFL isn't a fair and equitable uh, operation and the way that they do things, um, across multiple levels, um, seems to uh, not benefit the Hawks, whether it's the funding through from the AFL or this situation with the MCG and the Pies. Um, it's good when we... That was probably the one good thing about Jeff Kennett um, in his later years. He still had that desire to keep the AFL accountable, and it's good to see the Hawks, um, you know, biting back a little bit in that space again and, and just not rolling over and copying it on the chin. So... Um, whether it has any impact will is yet to be seen, but um, I, I like that we're just yeah we're not rolling over. And probably done a bit more diplomacy than might have been the case with the previous uh, president. So we'll wait to see what happens. That nothing will happen this year. And Hawthorne are drawn to play Collingwood uh, as the home team once again late in the season. Nothing will change this season, but hopefully by next season uh, things will have changed a little bit. And uh, Hawthorne and Melbourne and Richmond, for that matter, uh, are getting a better arrangement when they play Collingwood um, in, in those games. For some reason, we get Collingwood every which is good because even though those Collingwood supporters sit in the Ponsford stand, they're still paying an admission fee to Hawthorne because so, it's Hawthorne's home game. So Hawthorne makes money out of these people, at uh, bottom line, but it doesn't 
for the atmospherics of a home game. We don't have that many home games in MCG. You want it to be as much of a Hawthorne house as possible. It's a bit difficult when Collingwood supporters take up one big chunk of the ground. Um, that is it for the spaces this week. Uh, it's been a beauty. I think, as I said at the start, everyone's a bit more upbeat about things after the Hawks' performance this evening. It was a lot better than last week and a lot better than anticipated. And gives us reason to believe, particularly with Brad, just one quick thing before you go, with Heppel and Stringer unlikely to play against Hawthorne and Rambo. I know Lewis won't be there for Hawthorne. What do you think? And also, it's been suggested that uh, does, does Harry Morrison come in for round one? Or is he missed well, too much pre-season? No, I think I don't think he will. I think he is probably at the moment in our best team when fully fit. I think from tonight, I think Bramble and Nash probably go out for Morrison and Scrimshaw, probably come round two or three. I think it's now definitely a 50-50 game without Stringer. If Stringer played, I don't think we could have won, especially without Mitch uh, Lewis. Uh, Heppel's not a loss for them. I don't even think he's in their best. He'll be in their best side this year. But Stringer always seems to play really well against us and put him in a four. I reckon Heppel always plays well against Hawthorne. Yeah, but Heppel's last. No, I just I don't I don't think Heppel is such a loss for them. A forward line of Peter Wright and Stringer would have been a real uh, handful for uh, Blank and Frost. So um, I think it's a fifty-fifty game. I think absolutely we're a chance we can uh, win that game. It'd be great to win because, as I've said, our first six uh, rounds of the season. We've got very uh, winnable games. We've got North, we've got Adelaide, we've got GWS and um, obviously the Bombers round one. So we should probably win at least two or three out of our first six if we play really well. So that's been it. So that's some housekeeping. Back next Thursday and then Wednesdays for the next few weeks after that while there is Thursday night footy. Uh, the first of our 83 series will drop pretty soon as, a, as some articles uh, that I've written, which I think fans will enjoy as we celebrate what was a great milestone. We're also working with the Footy Club on a project, uh, a podcast project as well, to uh, uh, celebrate that milestone. And uh, Danny, you uh, recorded a podcast with me this week that we had a lot of fun. Yeah, great chat. Don't I'm say with who just yet. But, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, your secret is safe with me, Ash, but it's... Um... It's exciting to be able to get these um, sort of little insights and peek behind the curtains and work uh, in conjunction with the club. And I think uh, all of the Hawks Insiders fans and all fans of the Hawthorne Footy Club will enjoy it when these podcasts drop uh, in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, they'll hopefully they'll come out quite soon. So thanks for your support of Hawks Insiders. $5 a month, $50 a year. The season's ramping up. A lot of season preview content that we're all working on as well at the moment. Be a lot of stuff in the Substack for you to read. In the lead up to the season, we haven't put a whole lot in there lately, but you will find some really good season preview stuff coming up. Next week, it is Brad's famous, uh, for the first time anyway, game-by-game breakdown of 2023, and the rest of us are looking forward to pulling his arguments apart because that is what we like to do here. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Enjoy your weekend. Watch the replay of this game from uh, tonight. It was a loss, but uh, an enjoyable one, and one that should fill people with a bit of confidence about what is to lie ahead. Um, Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Danny, for hosting and putting it all together tonight. Thanks, Brad, for getting out of your sickbed to be part of it. Thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you again very soon on Orcs Insiders. Thanks and good night. Thanks so much for listening to Hawks Insiders. Head to our Substack for more quality analysis, special features, news, interviews, and so much more.